Summer, Chapter 6, June 11th. Dad called, or rather, he called and got through. He's been trying to call, he said, several times a day for the past two weeks. We all believed him because we've been trying to call him and never got through. It was great to hear his voice. He said he and Lisa were fine, and there were no problems with her pregnancy. He said the supermarkets in Springfield were all closed, but the two of them had a fair amount of food in the house. So far, so good. Mom also got a call from Johnny's camp today, and they're still planning on being open. So the plan remains for Johnny to go to camp, and then Mom and I'll drive up there, get him, and she'll drive us to Springfield. Dad asked Matt if he'd be coming, also. But Matt said he thought Mom would need him around in August, so he'd be staying home. I know that hurt Dad, even though it's probably true, and Dad probably knows that. Anyway, Dad said maybe Matt could come along for the drive and at least see him and Lisa. We could all have dinner together. For a moment, we forgot that all the restaurants are closed. For a moment, things were normal again. Matt said that sounded like a good plan to him, and Mom said she'd enjoy having the company on the drive home. Johnny asked if Dad heard anything about the Red Sox. Dad said he thought they were okay, but he really didn't know. I feel like Dad should have known Johnny was going to ask, and he should have been able to answer. He could have lied, after all, and said they were all fine. Although knowing what a Yankee fan Johnny is, maybe Dad should have just said Fenway had floated out to sea. June 12th. Peter dropped by this afternoon, bringing us a can of spinach. I know it's good for me, he said, but I really can't stand the stuff. Mom laughed. She used to. She like like she used to. Stay for supper, she said. I promise I won't serve spinach. I can't, he said. I should be taking time off now, but I needed to escape, if only for an hour. We all sat in the sunroom, happy to have a visitor, but it was obvious Peter wasn't relaxing. Finally, Mom said, if this is a house call, at least tell us what we're sick with. Peter laughed, but it was the kind of half-hearted laugh I'm used to hearing these days. You're not sick with anything, he said, but I did want to tell you to start using off or any other kind of insect repellent you might have. And if you still know a place where you can buy some, do. Pay whatever it costs, but get it. Why? Johnny asked. I don't think Mom or Matt or I really wanted to know. I've seen three cases of West Nile virus in the past week, Peter replied. I'm hearing from other doctors that they're seeing cases too. I've heard rumors of malaria. Friend of a friend's stories. But that doesn't mean they're not true. Mosquito-borne illnesses, Matt said? Exactly, Peter said. The mosquitoes seem to be happy, even if no one else is. I know I have some off left over from last summer, Mom said, but I don't know how long it'll last. Cover yourself up, Peter said. Wear socks and long sleeve shirts and pants when you're outside. No perfume, and if you even think you feel mosquito, swat at it. All of which, I'm sure, is very good advice, but I still plan on swimming at Miller's Pond. I don't know what I'll do if Mom tries to stop me. June 15th. It rained for the past couple of days. Bad thunderstorms. No blackouts, though. No electricity at all, so no blackouts. This morning, the electricity came on for a few minutes, and when it did, Johnny said, Hey, it's a black on! This was what passes for humor around here. Actually, it was kind of cozy in the rain. We couldn't go anywhere, so we stayed in and read books and played games and pretended not to worry. It was like being snowed in, only without any snow. But today the sun was shining, and even though the moon glow was disconcerting in the daytime, the sun was still a pleasant relief. No humidity, temperature in the high 80s, just about perfect weather. So without telling Mom, I slipped my bathing suit on, put on jeans and a shirt over it, and went to Miller's Pond. I got there around 10, and there were already a few other people there taking advantage of the good weather. 
Dan was among them, and it was great to see him. We swam laps, raced, he won, but not by much, and played water tag with a few other swimmers. It felt like summer vacation. After we got out of the water, we dried ourselves off in the sunlight. It's a little marshy around Miller's Pond, and we had to swat at mosquitoes, but even that felt like summer. Dan and I talked as we laid in the sun. First, we tried to talk about unimportant stuff, but of course these days there isn't much unimportant stuff. Next year I'll be a senior, he said, assuming there's school next year. Assuming there's a next year. There'll be a next year, I said. At that moment, it was impossible to think otherwise. Dan grinned. I notice you're not guaranteeing there'll be school, he said. With my luck, there will be, I said, and my grades from this year will count. My parents and I were going to look at some colleges this summer, he said. Check out some schools on the way to my grandparents. They live in Florida. He paused for a moment. Live, he said. We saw their names on a list. I'm sorry, I said. They liked it down there, he said. They kept real busy. We think it's probably happened fast with the first tsunamis. Their place was right on the ocean, so that's probably what happened. My mother's parents have been dead forever, I said. His mom was a little girl. Her grandparents raised her, right where we live now. My dad's mother is in Las Vegas, and we're pretty sure she's okay. I try not to think about it, he said. What'll happen next, I mean. But of course I do, and I get so angry. I know it's nobody's fault, but the government should have done something. Like what? I asked. It could have warned people, he said. It could have evacuated people from the coastlines, even if it turned out to be a false alarm. And there's got to be something they could do about electricity and gas prices and food. Somewhere there's got to be supplies of food that aren't getting to us. I guess I don't think it does much good to be angry, I said. We both swatted at mosquitoes, and suddenly we laughed. It was baletic swatting in unison. And then Dan said the most amazing thing. If there is a world, Dan said, and if there is a school, would you go to the prom with me next year? I insist on a corsage, I said, and a limo. A stretch, he said, and orchids. You in a tux, I said, me in a formal gown. We'll be king and queen of the prom, Dan said. I'd be honored, your majesty, I said. Dan bent over and kissed my hand. Our faces met, and we kissed, really kissed. It was the most romantic moment of my life, and it would have been even more romantic if some little boy hadn't yelped, Ooh, kissing, yuck, which ruined the mood. Dan walked me home, and we kissed again at the back door. It's a date, he said. I'll see you before then, won't I? I asked. The prom won't be for another year. He laughed. Meet me at the prom tomorrow, he said. At ten, if it isn't raining. I will, I said, and we kissed goodbye. It was a completely magical moment. So naturally, it was spoiled by Johnny. He opened the door, caught a glimpse of Dan, and said, Mom's on a warpath. Better talk to her. I found Mom in the sunroom. Where were you? She shouted. Out, I said. One of the great all-time answers. Out. I know that. Where out? What have you been doing? Swimming, I said, at Miller's Pond, which I intend to keep doing all summer long, so don't give me any lectures about mosquitoes, okay? I don't think I've ever seen Mom look so angry. For a moment, I actually thought she was going to hit me, which she's never done. I'm a complete idiot, so I apologized. I'm sorry, I said. What exactly did I do wrong? You left here without telling me where you were going or how long you were going to be gone, Mom said. I didn't realize I had to, I said. I've gone out without telling you for years now. These are not normal times, she said, but I could see she'd calm down, if only a little. I thought you were old enough to realize that. 
and I thought I was old enough to go out in broad daylight without it being some kind of a crisis, I said. Age has nothing to do with it, she said. How would you feel if you turned around and couldn't find me and had no idea where I'd gone or why or when I'd be back? Think about that, Miranda. How would you feel? So I did think about it, and my stomach clenched up. I'd be terrified, I'd admitted. Mom half smiled. Good, she said. I'd hate to think you wouldn't miss me. Mom, I'm sorry, I said. The truth is, I was afraid you'd tell me I couldn't go, and I wanted to so much, so I snuck out. I really am sorry. Why would I tell you I couldn't, you couldn't go, she asked. Because of the mosquitoes, they said. What's now a virus and malaria in that? Oh, yeah, Mom said, all that. I took a deep breath and waited for Mom to tell me to never leave the house again, but she didn't say anything. Well, I said, so she could say no and I could yell at her and we could go get into a really bad fight. Well, what? She said. Can I go to Miller's Pond? I asked. Of course you can, she said. I'd love to wrap you and Matt and Johnny up in a swaddling cloth and protect you from everything, but I know I can't. You're all entitled to have some fun. For you, that means swimming. For Johnny, it's baseball. And for Matt, it's running. What is it for you? I asked. Gardening, Mom said. Even if my crop is vegetables this year and not flowers, I'm not stopping gardening just because there's a chance I'll get West Nile virus. I don't expect you to stop swimming. Were there other people at the pond? Quite a few, I said, including Dan from my swim team. Good, she said. I prefer to think there are people there, for safety's sake. Just let me know from now on when you're going. I love you, Mom, I said. I couldn't remember the last time I'd said that to Mom. I love you too, sweetie, she said. Are you hungry? Would you like some lunch? I thought how strange that was, that Mom was asking me if I wanted lunch, not what I wanted for lunch. I'm not that hungry, I said. Maybe I'll have something later. All right, she said. I'll be in the garden if you want me. There are some weeds out there with my name on them. I went to my bedroom and stripped out of my small, still damp bathing suit and put on a t-shirt and shorts. I thought about Mom and about Dan kissing me and about how hungry I really was and how long I could go without eating. I thought about mosquitoes and the prom and the end of the world, and then I went out and helped Mom with her weeding. June 16th. Dan and I swam. We also kissed. I like them both so much. I'm not sure which I prefer. June 17th. Mom came home from the post office today with a smile on her face. They aren't doing home deliveries anymore, so Mom goes into town a couple times a week and picks up the mail at the post office. The only mail is letters, which people are writing more of since there's no other way to communicate. Oh yeah, and bills. The bills never stop. But no junk mail or catalogs. Just letters and bills. There's no way of knowing how long that'll last. I saw Mom talking to Johnny about something, and then this evening she told us what. I got a letter from Johnny's baseball camp, she said, at supper. Salmon, canned mushrooms, and rice. They're opening on schedule. They have enough food for a couple of weeks, and they plan to stay open at least that long. But there's a catch. Catch? Matt said to me. That's baseball talk. I thumbed my nose at him. What's the catch, I asked. The people who own the camp have a farm that adjoins to it, Mom said. In addition to playing ball, the boys are going to work at the farm. They'll get fresh milk and eggs and vegetables. Wow, I said, and I meant it. I still think about those two eggs Mrs. Nesbitt brought over. That's great. Congratulations, Johnny. Yeah, it'll be okay, he said. I guess he'd rather just play baseball. I looked at Mom. She was practically glowing with happiness. For two weeks, maybe even longer, Johnny was going to have food. And not just canned stuff. Eggs and milk and vegetables. For two weeks, there'd be one less person to worry about. No wonder Mom was smiling. June 19th. Father's Day. We tried to reach Dad a few times, but no success. 
We can still sometimes get through on local calls, but I can't remember the last time we had any luck with long distance. I wonder if Dad was trying to call us or if his feelings were hurt because we didn't call, or if he even thought about us. Maybe it's for the best that Lisa is pregnant. I know that's dumb. I'll be seeing Dad in a few weeks, spending a month with him and Lisa and Johnny in Springfield. He probably thinks about us as often as we think about him. More, probably. Sometimes a day goes by and I realize I haven't thought about him at all. June 21st. It's dawn, and I'm writing now because I just woke up from a nightmare, and it's too late to go back to sleep and too early to get out of bed. The whole day was just one of those days. It's so hot. Over 90 every day for the past week, and the nights aren't much cooler. Half the time the electricity comes on in the middle of the night, and it never stays on much more than an hour, so the house barely cools down even with the central air on. Mom actually got a letter from the electric company last week apologizing for the inconvenience. Mom says that's the first time a utility company has ever apologized to her. The best part of every day is swimming at the pond. When I'm in the water, I feel as though nothing bad has happened. I think about the fish, how they don't know what's going on. Their world is unchanged. Actually, it's probably better now to be a tuna or a sardine or a salmon. Less chance of ending up at somebody's lunch. The mosquitoes are getting worse, or maybe people are just more worried about West Nile, but there are fewer people at the pond. This would be good for Dan and me, except Karen and Emily from the swim team have started swimming at the pond at the same time we're here. It makes the swimming more fun, since we race and offer advice and play really vicious games of swim tag, but it makes the after swimming a lot less fun, since Dan and I can't just escape into the woods for a little private time. I don't know why Karen and, Karen and Emily are showing up then, if it's coincidence or if Dan told them that's when we swim. I miss the kissing. I miss the ridiculous sensation of having a boyfriend and being on a date. I wonder if I'll ever have a real date again. Everything's closed. The restaurants and the movie theaters and the skating rink. Dan may have his license, but nobody just drives anymore. And he lives on the other end of town. It was all just dumb, but I guess it's one reason why I had my nightmare. Peter showed up this evening. He brought a jar of mixed nuts. Mom stared at it for like, like it was a five-course Thanksgiving dinner. Turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes and sweet potatoes and string beans and salad and soup and pumpkin pie. Or maybe that's what I thought when I saw the jar. I'm allergic to peanuts, Peter said, almost apologetically. Someone gave me these months ago and has been sitting in my cupboard. Mom invited him to stay for dinner, and in his honor she made quite the feast. She took a can of chicken and put some golden raisins in it, and it almost passed for chicken salad. If you think of chicken salad being canned chicken and golden raisins... She also served beets and string beans with pearl onions. For dessert, we each had a fig and a date. This is as close to a date as I'm getting, I said, and everyone laughed a little too long. When Mom put out the string beans and pearl onions, Johnny asked if it was Christmas. I have to admit, the onions seemed like overkill to me, too. I noticed Mom didn't eat every very much of anything, and neither did Peter, although he pretended like it was the best meal he'd ever had. That left more food for Matt and Johnny and me, and we certainly ate it all. Peter always brings death with him, along with spinach or nuts. He's said he'd seen 20 cases of West Nile during this week, and five deaths from it. He also said two people had died from food allergies. They're so hungry, they're taking their chances eating food they're seriously allergic to, he said. He and Mom went outside after supper and sat on the swing. I could hear murmured conversations from them, but I didn't try to eavesdrop. It must be horrible to be a doctor now. Before Peter cured people, now they just die. Peter left before sunset. He bikes over with the streetlights gone. It's dangerous to be out after dark. Besides, with no electricity, everyone pretty much goes to bed once the sun sets. 
We're keeping farmer's hours now, Mom says. She stopped reminding us we can use our flashlights only to get undressed and into bed. We're all starting to sense how important our supply of batteries is. Maybe it was because of the swimming, and maybe it was because of my date joke, but I dreamed that Dan and I were on a real date. He picked me up at the house, and he gave me a corsage, and we got into the car and drove to an amusement park. We had a wonderful time. We rode the merry-go-round at the Ferris wheel, and we were on this amazing roller coaster that went down at 100 miles an hour. Only I wasn't scared. I loved it. And as we flew down, we kissed. It was incredibly exciting. I'm hungry, I said. And the dream shifted, and Dan wasn't there anymore. I was in a tent, and it was long tables overloaded with food. There was so much food to choose from. Southern fried chicken and real tuna salad and pizza and vegetables and fruit. Oranges the size of grapefruits, even ice cream. I decided to have a hot dog with all the trimmings. I slithered mustard and ketchup and relish and sauerkraut and chopped onions all over it. I was just about to take a bite when I heard someone say, You can't eat until you pay. I turned around and saw that there was a cashier. I found my pocketbook and went to give her the money. Then I realized the cashier was Becky. You can't pay with money, she said. This is heaven and you have to die before you can eat the hot dog. I looked around the tent some more. Everyone there was someone I've known who's died, like Miss Nesbitt, or Grandpa, or Mom's grandparents, or my 7th grade math teacher, Mr. Docks. Angels were serving the food. Even Becky was wearing white and had wings. I really want the hot dog, I said, but I don't want to die. You can't always get what you want, Becky said. Don't be careless, Mr. Doc said, which was what he always said when he'd had hand back a test and I'd made a lot of careless mistakes, which was really pretty funny since he died when he ran through a red light on Washington Avenue. I remember begging for the hot dog and Becky taking it away from me and eating it herself. I never wanted anything as much as I wanted that hot dog. I woke up with my throat burning and a taste of bile in my mouth. I don't even like hot dogs all that much. What I'd really love are pancakes the kind mom used to make for special occasions. Pancakes with butter and hot maple syrup. Now that I think about it, we have pancake mix and maple syrup. I wonder if we really could have pancakes. I wonder if waking up alive is enough for a special occasion. When mom gets up, I'll ask her about the pancakes, but not about what constitutes a special occasion. I think mom wants us to think we'll wake up every morning for years to come. Maybe mom's right. It's a beautiful sunrise. We are all still alive, and I'm really we're all still alive and i'm really not ready for heaven not as long as i can swim in miller's pond and go on make-believe dates with dan and dream about the possibility of eating pancakes slathered in maple syrup june 22nd the best day in ages for starters mom made pancakes okay they weren't pancakes as well as we all remembered them but close enough water instead of milk dried egg whites instead of eggs which made them fluffy, fluffier and less heavy. No butter, but lots of maple syrup. We loved them. Mom smiled like I hadn't seen her smile in weeks. Johnny asked for seconds, and Mom made them for him. For all of us, really, since we ate like pigs. Mom sent Matt to get Mrs. Nesbitt so she, could, she got to eat pancakes also. It was amazing not to feel hungry and not to crave more or different. Then after I'd fully digested, Mom insisted on that. I went to the pond. Dan was already there, and so was Emily, but Karen didn't show up. The day was a little grayish, but still murky and humid and hot. The water felt great. 
We swam and raced and had a good time. And then, oh, happy day, Emily had to leave to do something back at her house. So Dan and I were alone. Okay. There were a half a dozen other people at the pond, but we didn't know them, so we were alone in that way. We continued to swim for a while longer, and then we got out of the water, toweled off. Not the sort of the way, sort of day where you dry yourself off in the sun, and took a little walk through the woods surrounding the pond. It was wonderful. We held hands, we hugged, we kissed, we talked too, and sometimes we didn't do anything. Just stood quietly and let the trees and the birds surround us. Underneath everything, I wonder if Dan would even know I was around if things were normal. Sure, he was nice to me at school and at practice sessions, but there's a big difference between saying I have a good crawl stroke and holding me tight in the forest while we kiss. If anybody ever reads this diary, I will absolutely die. Dan walked me back home, but he didn't come in. It was lunchtime, and there's an unspoken understanding that you don't drop in at mealtimes. Peter doesn't seem to understand this, but he always brings food. When I went into the kitchen, there was a strange, pleasant smell that I couldn't quite identify, and then I saw Mom punching a lumpy white thing. She was positively grinning as she punched. I'm baking bread, she said. The pancakes made me think about just what we have, and I remember buying yeast. I put it in the fridge, and I forgot about it. But there it was. I'm using water instead of milk, but that's okay. We're going to have fresh baked bread. You're kidding, I said. This seemed too good to be true. I have enough yeast for six loaves, Mom said. I'm baking two today, one for us, and a half a loaf for Mrs. Nesbitt and a half for Peter. As soon as we're finished with our loaf, I'll bake another. There's no point holding off. We'll eat bread for as long as we can, and then I'll chuck out non-yeast recipes, and we'll have something breadish until I run out of flour. I just wish I'd thought of it sooner. We can save some of it for the fall, I said, after Johnny and I get back from Springfield. And just because it was the sort of day, as soon as I said it, the phone rang. It's been so long since I heard that sound, I practically had a heart attack. I answered the phone, and it was Dad. Johnny and Matt were at the park, so they didn't get to talk to him. But I did. It was so great hearing his voice. He's fine, and Lisa's fine, and she saw her obstetrician, and the baby is fine. Dad says he tries our number and Grandma and Lisa's parents three times a day. He spoke to Grandma a couple of days ago, and she's fine. Lisa reached her parents about a week ago, and they were okay also. He said he can't wait to see us, and he's sure we'd be able to manage. Springfield hasn't had any food deliveries in the past couple weeks, but he and Lisa had stocked up on stuff when all this first happened. And they have some friends who've left Springfield to go south and let them have all their canned goods and boxed foods. Besides, he'd heard that the local farmers were planting crops and that some trucks were on the roads again and things couldn't stay this way forever. Just hearing Dad say all that and, the smell and smelling bread in the kitchen made me feel a lot more optimistic. Mom was so proud when the loaves came out of the oven, they were golden brown and tasted much better than store-bought bread. Matt biked over to Mrs. Nesbitt's and to Peter's office and gave them their goodies. We had peanut butter and jelly on fresh-baked bread for supper tonight. Open-faced sandwiches because we sliced the bread so thick. Mom says if we keep eating like this, we'll end up fat and malnourished. But I don't care. It was wonderful. Then, because when good things happen, they just keep on happening, we had electricity and it came on at 7 p.m., a time we could actually use it. And it stayed on for three whole hours. Mom did three loads of laundry and got two of them dry. I vacuumed the whole house. We ran all the dishes through the dishwasher. We ran the central air and cooled the house off. Just for the hell of it, Matt toasted a slice of bread and we all nibbled on it. I'd forgotten how great toast is, crunchy on the outside and soft on the inside. A couple of days ago, Matt had gone into the attic and brought down a real old blank black and white TV set with a built-in antenna. Mom says the antennas were called rabbit ears, which I think is pretty silly. 
With the electricity on, we turned on the TV set and got two stations. We can't get any TV reception on our other sets. Our cable reception is completely gone. Just seeing a picture on TV was exciting. One station was religious. The other station showed reruns of Seinfeld and Friends. Guess which station we watched. Watching sitcoms was like eating toast. Two months ago, it was so much part of my life I didn't even notice it. But now it feels like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy and the Wizard of Oz all rolled into one. We have clean sheets to sleep on, a clean house, clean clothes, clean dishes. We spent the evening laughing. It wasn't 90 degrees in the house when we went to bed. We aren't hungry. We're not worried about Dad. I know what it feels like to be kissed by a boy. If I could, I would relive this day over and over. I can't imagine a more perfect one. June 24th. I am so angry at Mom I could scream, and it doesn't help that she's as mad at me as I am at her. The day started out great, too. The sun was shining, perfect swimming weather. There was enough bread left for each of us to have a slice for breakfast. Mom brought in a few strawberries from the garden. We each had two. I went to the pond, and I even mind that Karen and Emily were there. We swam, we raced, we had fun. I guess they've figured out something's going on with Dan and me, because when we got out of the pond, they made themselves scarce. Dan and I took a, our walk in the woods. When we're together like that, I feel as though everything is going to work out. I like to think I help him feel that way also. Dan walked me home, and we ran into Mom in the driveway. I'm off to get gas, she said. Dan, would you like a lift into town? Dan said yes, and I asked if I could go too. Mom said sure. We'd be picking up Mrs. Nesbitt also. She wanted to go to the library. There are two gas stations in town that still have gas. The way it works is you get in line, and then you prepay. It's $12 a gallon, or $35 for three gallons. Exact change only, and a maximum of three gallons. It usually takes about an hour to get the gas, and then you drive to the other gas station and get three gallons there. Then, if you have the time and the money, you go back to the first gas station and start all over again. So while Mom is waiting in line, there's plenty of time to go to the library or do anything else you want to do. A lot of times, Mom drops Matt and Johnny off at the park, and they find a pickup game of baseball while Mom does the gas lines. But since we were all sure it was going to rain, they decided to skip the trip, so there was room for Mrs. Nesbitt and Dan and me. Mom got into the gas line, and Mrs. Nesbitt, Dan, and I walked over to the library. There's very little that's still open in town, so the library has gotten real popular. Of course, it's not the same way it used to be, either. With no electricity, things are pretty dark, and they can't scan the books, so you're on an honor system. Four books to a customer, and they trust you're going to return them as soon as you can. We have lots of books at home, but Mom's been urging Matt and Johnny and me to use the library as much as possible. I guess she's afraid it won't stay open that much longer. We all found books to take out. I put Mrs. Nesbitt's and my books in a bag. Dan and I kissed in the stacks, and then we left the library. We started walking toward his home, and Mrs. Nesbitt and I started back to the gas station to keep Mom company while she waited. Only as we were walking, we saw a long line in the elementary school parking lot. There were maybe 50 people in the line, and we noticed a couple of state troopers standing around making sure people stayed in place. I ran over to see what was going on. They're giving away food, a man told me. One bag per household. I waved Mrs. Nesbitt over and got her a place in the line. I'm going to get Dan, I told her. We'll meet you back here. So I ran, and I do mean ran, toward Dan's home. It didn't take me long to find him and explain what was going on. We both ran back to the playground. By the time we got there, Mrs. Nesbitt was about 20 people ahead of us. I knew we couldn't just cut in line and join her, but we yelled, so she knew we were there. It wasn't bad in the line, maybe because the troopers saw to it that we behaved ourselves. Any kids who might have been whining played into slides and swings and said it, it was fun watching them have a good time. 
We were all excited about getting food, even if we didn't know what exactly to expect. It kind of felt like Christmas shopping. Every now and again, one of the troopers would explain the rules to us. One bag per household. All the bags were identical. Make any trouble and no bag. No cost, but I think you would be appreciated. Even when it began to rain, we didn't mind. It was a gentle summertime kind of rain. And since it's so humid, we hoped that the rain would clear things up and the weather would turn nice again. Dan and I held hands and giggled and enjoyed being together. We edged forward and cheered when Mrs. Nesbitt finally got into the school. We cheered again when she emerged carrying a bag. We finally got in ourselves. There were other troopers in the school, clearly guarding the bags. It was scary seeing them with guns. But everyone was very well behaved. When you got to the front of the line, you had to show an ID that had your address on it. Luckily, Dan and I both had our library cards with us. We were each handed a plastic bag and told to leave, which we did. When we walked out, we saw the troopers were telling people not to get in line. The supplies were running out. Mrs. Nesbitt standing just outside the playground. There's rice, she said, and beans and all kinds of goodies. I was so excited that I flat out kissed Dan in front of Mrs. Nesbitt. Not that she seemed shocked. Dan gave me a hug and said goodbye. My mom is going to be so happy, he said, which pretty much summed it up. Maybe there'll be more, I said. Maybe this is the start of better times. Let's hope so, he said. He gave me one more kiss, and then he started back to his house. I took Mrs. Nesbitt's bag and began walking back to the gas station. I couldn't get over excited over how excited mom was going to be when she saw I was bringing food. It was about a half mile walk to the gas station and the gentle rain had become heavy with distant thunderstorms. I told Mrs. Nesbitt I wish I had an umbrella for her, but she just laughed. It won't melt, she said. When we got to the gas station, we couldn't find mom's car, which meant she was already over on her way to the second gas station. That added another five blocks to the walk. Mrs. Nesbitt and I were drenched by the time we finally found her, but it didn't matter. Rice and beans and powdered milk and salt and box soup mix and dehydrated vegetables and cornflakes and lime jello. Mom only had a 10 car waiting by the time we got there. I was so wet anyway. I volunteered to get out and pay, which I did. It feels so funny to go into the convenience store and see completely empty shelves and signs saying, Cashiers armed and trained to shoot. I guess Mrs. Nesbitt and Mom told Mom all about the food and the wine while I was paying for the gas. All I know is Mom was in a great mood before I left the car. She was very quiet by the time I walked, got back in. I don't know if Mom felt six gallons was enough for one day, or if she wanted to get Mrs. Nesbitt home because she was so wet, but we drove straight back and dropped Mrs. Nesbitt off. Any effort Mom might have made to seem social with Mrs. Nesbitt was still in the car ended as soon as it was just the two of us. What? I fi said finally when they were alone. What did I do this time? We'll discuss it inside, she said. Her teeth were so clenched she could have been a ventriloquist. We walked into the kitchen and I flung the book bag and the grocery bag on the table. I thought you'd be happy, I said. We have all this food now. What did I do wrong? Sometimes I just don't understand you, she said, like I was a mystery creature. You saw everyone standing in line, and what did you do? I got in line, I said. Wasn't that what I was supposed to do? You left Mrs. Nesbitt and went to get Dan, Mom said. That seems to be part you're forgetting. Right, I said. I ran to get Dan, and then we got right in the line. And what if they'd run out of food by the time you got back, Mom asked. What would you have done then? Then we wouldn't have gotten all this great stuff, I said. Rice and beans and lime jello. I didn't know they're going to run out of food so soon. Besides, what difference does it make? They didn't run out of food, and he got food to take home, and so I did, and so did Mrs. Nesbitt. I don't see why you're so mad about. How often do I have to explain this to you, Mom asked. Family is all that matters. Dan has to worry about his family, and you have to worry about yours. 
and before you even begin to say something about Peter, he's brought us food every time he's come here, and the least I could do is give him some bread in return. I would have brought up Peter, too, if she hadn't. Even I knew better than to say Mrs. Nesbitt wasn't family. There was enough for all of us, I said. Pure luck, Mom said. I will not have Johnny or Matt or you starve because you want to include a friend. This isn't the time for friendships, Miranda. We have to watch out only for ourselves. That's not how you brought us up, I said. Whatever happened to share and share alike? Sharing is a luxury, she said. We can't afford luxuries right now. For a moment, Mom seemed terribly sad instead of angry. I saw an expression in her eyes I remembered from when she and Dad split up. You think we're all going to die, I said. Any sadness immediately evaporated and rage took its place. Don't you ever say that to me again, she yelled. None of us is going to die. I will not allow that to happen. I actually reached out to comfort her. It's okay, Mom, I said. I know you're doing everything you can for us, but Dan and I have something wonderful, like you and Peter, something special. Otherwise, I would have never have told him about the food. But Mom was anything but com comforted. There was a look on her face, a look of horror, almost like she was the way she looked the first night. Are you sleeping with him, she asked? Are you lovers? Mom, I said, because if you are, you'd better never see him again, she said. I'll forbid you to go to the pond. I won't let you leave this house alone again. Do you understand me? I can't let you risk getting pregnant. She grabbed my shoulders and pulled me an inch to her face. Do you understand that? I understand, I yelled right back into her face. I understand that you don't trust me. If I don't trust you, I certainly don't trust Dan, she said. The two of you cannot be left alone. I forbid it. Just try to forbid it, I screamed. I love Dan, and he loves me, and there's nothing you can say or do is going to stop us. Go to your room now, Mom said. And don't think about coming out until I tell you to. Now! I didn't need any encouragement. I raced to my room and slammed the door as loud as I could. And then I cried. Big, howling sobs. I'm not Sammy. I'm not an idiot. Sure, I'd love to make love with Dan. I'd love to make love with someone before this whole stupid world ends. But even though I told Mom that Dan and I love each other, I know we don't. Not the kind of love that I want to feel for the first man I make love with. Half the time, I can't even figure out what Dan was feeling. I would have thought he'd try to go further with me. But he hasn't. We kiss. We hug. That's it. And there's Mom acting like we're animals in heat. It's so unfair. I haven't seen Sammy or Megan since school ended. Dan's practically the only friend I have left in this world. Even if we aren't lovers, even if we aren't boyfriend and girlfriend, he's still the only person I see who isn't family or Peter. I laugh with him. I talk with him. I care about him. And Mom makes it sound like that's something bad. Like I can't have friends anymore. Like family is the only thing that matters from now on. If that's how the world is supposed to be, I hope it does end soon. I hate Mom for making me feel this way. I hate Mom for making me feel that for every good day, there have been 10, 20, or 100 bad ones. I hate Mom for not trusting me. I hate Mom for making me even more scared. I hate Mom for making me hate her. I hate her. June 25th. Except for going to the bathroom, and I only did that when I thought no one would see me. I stayed in my room all yesterday. I kept the door shut in a fit of rebellion. Even I realized was dumb. I read by flashlight for four hours. Matt knocked on my door this morning. Breakfast is ready, he said. I'm never eating again, I said. More food for... More food that way for you and Johnny. Matt entered the room and closed the door behind me. Stop being a baby, he said. You made your point. Now go to the kitchen and eat breakfast. You might want to kiss Mom good morning while you're at it. 
I'm not talking to her until she apologizes, I said. It's funny. I was still angrier than I was hungry. Or maybe I just knew that even after breakfast I'd still be hungry, so what was the point? Matt shook his head. I thought you were more mature than this, he said. I expected better from you. I don't care what you expect, I said, which was a total lie. I cared desperately for what Matt thinks of me. I didn't do anything wrong. Mom attacked me for being ab for absolutely no reason. Why aren't you telling her what you expected from her? Matt sighed. I wasn't there, he said. I only have Mom's version of what happened. Did she happen to mention she was horrible, I asked? That she acted like I was some kind of criminal? Or did she leave that stuff out? If you mean, did she burst into tears and say she felt terrible for all the things she said to you? Then the answer is no, Matt said. But she did say how terrible she felt that you were going through all this, Miranda. Mom is holding on by the skin of her teeth. She has the three of us to worry about, and Mrs. Nesbitt. And you know, Mom, she's worried about Dad, too, and Lisa and her baby, and Peter. She's worried sick about Peter. He's working 12-hour days, seven days a week, and she has no idea if he's eating anything. I thought I was going to start crying again, which I didn't want to. Mom thinks we're all going to die, I said. Doesn't she? Do you? Is this all for nothing? Are we all just going to die? Mom doesn't think that, neither do I, Matt said. I could tell he'd thought about it a lot, and that it wasn't sure, just a glib answer. That's not the same as saying the worst is over, because I don't think it is, and Mom doesn't think so either. If things stay the way they are, then we have a real chance. All the scientists are working on making things better. That bag of food yesterday proves that things are improving. But this has to be the worst, I said. How could things get any worse than they are now? Matt grinned. You don't really want me to answer that, do you? He asked. We both laughed as I shook my head. Mom's more worried about Mrs. Nesbitt than she is about us, Matt said. Mom asked her to move in with us, but Mrs. Nesbitt has in her head that it would be an imposition, which only makes things harder for Mom. I know Mom doesn't want us to die, I said. I thought really hard about what I wanted to say, so it would come out right. But I think maybe she doesn't want us to live either. We should just should just hide in our rooms and not feel anything if we get rescued. Great. But if we don't, well, maybe we'll live a little longer, if you can call that living. I know Mom tells you things she doesn't tell me, but am I wrong? Because I really feel the feel that way more and more. I'd like to be wrong, because it scares me if Mom feels that way, but I don't think I am. Mom can't guess the future any better than you or me or Mrs. O'Leary's cow, Matt said. Horton could be on CNN assuming there still is CNN and have as much of a chance of being right as anybody else. But she thinks, and I do too, that we're in for some very hard times, times worse than what we're going through now. And the way she sees it, the better we take care of ourselves now, the better chance we'll have when things get worse. So yeah, she probably does seem overprotective right now. I know she's scared to send Johnny off to camp, but she's absolutely determined to do that and not let him know how worried she is. So don't you tell him either. I won't, I promise. Mom doesn't have to worry about me. I'm not stupid. But I don't want to have to stop feeling. I really think I'd rather die than stop feeling. No one's asking that of you, he said. And Mom doesn't want you to stop swimming or to stop seeing Dan. She's happy when you're happy. But she wouldn't want Dan to be the only friend you see under any circumstances. Why don't you visit Megan or Sammy? I could use some good Sammy stories. The truth of the matter is I hardly even think about Sammy or Megan. It's like they're a part of the world that's already ended for me. But since I just finished a big speech about feelings, I don't think I could confess that. So I nodded and told Matt I'd get dressed and make things up with Mom. But when I saw Mom in the kitchen, I didn't feel like getting all kissy-kissy with her. And I couldn't see she wasn't all that eager to get kissy-kissy with me either. 
She and Johnny were both sitting at the table, looking kind of glum. Without even thinking about it, I said, Johnny, you want to go to Miller's Pond with me this morning? Johnny's face lit up, and I could see that I'd said the right thing as far as Mom was concerned. That'd be great, he said. I have no idea why Johnny hasn't just invited himself along. It's not like I own Miller's Pond, but Johnny's been playing baseball, or at least practicing with Matt, and Matt's been running when he hasn't been playing ball. Maybe they figured swimming was mine, and they'd keep away from it. Johnny put his trunks on under his jeans while I was eating breakfast, and as soon as we were both ready, we walked together to the pond. With my luck, of course, Emily and Karen weren't there, so Tan and I lost good alone time. But it was worth it to see how happy Johnny was in the water. There was a couple of kids he knew from middle school, and the three of them played together. Then we all swam together, played water polo and imitation relay races. It was another one of those hot, sunny days, so we all laid around after swimming and let the sun dry off of us. Dan, it turns out, is a big Phillies fan, and he and Johnny talked baseball, which made Johnny even happier. I've been so involved in my own problems, I haven't thought much about what was going on doing to Johnny until I saw how excited he was talking with Dan about all-time great second baseman. I hadn't realized just how bored he's been. He's had Matt, and Matt's been great with him. But this time of year, when Johnny isn't playing ball, he's watching it on TV or following it on the internet. Johnny's passionate about baseball the way I used to be about skating. I'm really glad his baseball camp is going to be open. He deserves a couple of weeks of doing what he loves best. I guess because Johnny was with me, Dan didn't walk me home. That was okay, because it gave me more of a chance to talk with Johnny. I've been thinking about something, he said, and I could tell it was something really important to him. Right away, that meant it wasn't anything good. You know how I'm planning on playing second for the Yankees? Since Johnny had been planning on this since birth, it wasn't exactly surprised to hear it, so I just nodded. I know Mom's doing her best, Johnny said, but I don't think I'm eating a well-balanced diet. Protein and stuff like that. I'm 5'5", five five and I don't know how much taller I can get if I don't start eating hamburgers and roast beef. We're eating better than a lot of peop other people, I said. Better than people here, Johnny said. But what if there are 13-year-old guys in Japan or Dominican Republic who are eating hamburgers and who are growing? I don't see how I can reach six feet on canned tuna. What if I end up five feet six? I would have laughed, except he was so serious. Besides, I knew Matt wouldn't have laughed. Matt doesn't laugh at idiotic questions. You taking your vitamins, I asked. Johnny nodded. Well, they'll help, I said. Look, Johnny, I don't know what things are going to be like tomorrow, let alone years from now. Even if things get back to normal and baseball is just like it is now, like it was last year, I mean, players years from now may all be shorter than they used to be or maybe there'll be less competition for you because well there just won't be that many second basemen around i don't think guys are great and think i don't think things are great in the dominican republic or japan the guys your age may not grow to six feet either or have the time to work on their baseball the way you do you mean you think they're all dead johnny said not exactly i said suddenly appreciating how well matt has been handling me lately what I think is the whole world is going through rough times now, not just Pennsylvania. And there are probably boys in the Dominican Republic and in Japan who are wearing the same thing you are, only I don't know if they have vitamins or canned tuna. And I do know one thing. It's like Dad always says. The only way you can be the best at something is to be the best you can be. If you're the best second baseman you can be, you stand as good a chance as anyone at playing second for the Yankees. Do you hate all this, Johnny asked? Yes, I said. And I miss hamburgers, too. When we got home, I saw Mom in the kitchen. Flour, yeast, and measuring cups all spread out on the counter. The kitchen must have been 100 degrees between how hot it was outside and the oven being on. Can I help, Mom? I asked. I'd like to learn how to bake bread. 
Mom smiled at me. Really smiled. Smiled like I was her long-lost daughter. The good one. Who she thought was gone forever. I'd like that, she said. So we baked and sweated together. I liked punching the dough. I told myself it was the moon and punched it senseless.